0: Dolphins fans and welcome into the Friday, October the fifth edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we dive even further into the Bengals Dolphins tilt and why my confidence is growing in that game. And then we take a turn to negative town and dissect a pair of disappointing draft picks in the wake of the Jordan Phillips release. We unpack some unpopular Dolphins fans' opinions and take on your Twitter questions. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us that five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing here on the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at WinkfulNFL. Follow the show at Locked On and check out lockedondolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. We have content up there for you guys every single day. And of course, last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And spinning things forward here, we have a very full injury list for both teams. Let's go ahead and talk about the medical. <laughs> And the Mad Dog brings us into the injury reports on Thursday here for the Miami Dolphins and Cincinnati Bengals ahead of Sunday's game up at Paul Brown Stadium. And the Dolphins list is packed full of guys, but most of them were full participants, including Jawan James, Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald, as well as Danny Amendola, Walt Aikens, and Stephon Anthony. Now, the did not practices were AJ Derby. And that's it. He's the only guy that did not practice on Thursday on that list outside of the guys that are lost for the year, as well as Bobby McCain. You know about him. He's out for a couple of weeks. But we got some guys back. Chase Allen, again, limited in practice, but he was out there for Thursday's practice. Sounds like he could be good to go on Sunday in a limited capacity. Frank Gore gets his usual Thursday off. And then two surprises, one good, one bad. Let's start with the good. Andre Branch was back at practice in a limited capacity, so it sounds like he has a shot to play on Sunday. But Cameron Wake for the second straight day, did not practice and Adam Gaze was non-committal in regarding his availability so that would be a big blow for the Dolphins and would probably have me change my prediction of a Dolphins win if he cannot go but going over to the Bengals side of the football it's kind of doom and gloom for them too in regards to some of these guys Giovanni Bernard did not practice for the second straight day he is the number two running back he will probably miss the game come Sunday Preston Brown the linebacker was back at practice in a full capacity he will probably play come Sunday Michael Johnson Carl Lawson and Joe Mixon all limited on Thursday, so that's possibly boding well for the Dolphins. Billy Price is out. Right guard Alex Redmond was back in a full capacity, but that probably benefits the Dolphins as he has been a train wreck this year. And wide receiver John Ross went from limited on Wednesday to a did not practice on Thursday. Sounds like he'll probably miss the game come Sunday as well. So the Bengals' offense is awfully banged up, and there's a good chance the Dolphins could capitalize on some of that and take advantage of their lack of versatility, which has made them so good throughout the course of the first quarter of the season. All right, on yesterday's podcast, I predicted a win for the Dolphins, and overnight, my confidence grew even more. Let's go ahead and talk about why. That's another Miami Dolphins! So on those Thursday podcasts, I break the game down based upon what I see on film and studying the other team that we're facing that week and seeing some of the advantages the Dolphins could take advantage of against the Bengals is their lack of speed on defense and their inability to defend the edge as well as the bend back lane on running plays. And that's why I think Kenyon Drake, as my lock it up pick of the week for 150 scrimmage yards, his speed could really attack that Bengals defense and take them to task and keep them off balance for the most part of the game with good balance for the Miami Dolphins offense. And the Bengals' unwillingness to go to a dime defense, I think Miami can kind of trap them on the field with some tempo offense and not allow them to get substitutions into the game because of that tempo offense. Now, where that might not work is if the Dolphins continue to fail to put together first downs and continue to have three and outs and quick drives because then all of that goes out the window. But I think establishing the running game with Kenyon Drake, taking advantage of the aggressiveness and the lack of speed and the lack of sub packages on this Bengals defense bodes very well for the Dolphins and their ability to get back on track on the offensive side of the football. And lastly... A ton of Sharps money came in on the Dolphins on Thursday morning, and if you're not a sports gambler, the Sharps are the professional gamblers that kind of hang around and see where the line is moving on a particular game on a particular week, and they will pounce on a line that they find favorable, and they always force the line in the opposite direction of who they picked. So they went on the Dolphins heavy at plus six and a half points, which means that the Dolphins come within six points of the Bengals. They will cover that spread. But because of that heavy action, Miami is now only a five and a half point favorite. The line moves a full point. So just given the Sharps record over time, that's something you have to like as a Dolphins fan going into this one. And we don't have the read today, but if you guys want to get some money down on that, remember my book is your place to do that here. But shifting gears entirely, I had a thought on Thursday morning about what are some unpopular opinions as a Dolphin, And I get crushed for mine all the time. And it's probably because of my age and the fact that I wasn't even a thought when it happened. But I'm so tired of the perfect season and the undefeated team. And I think my level of annoyance just comes from the fact that the team has been so bad for so long now that it doesn't have the same luster as it once did because I think this team is just known for that undefeated season. And that's not a current fault of those guys going back into the 70s that this team has been so bad for so long. But I just hate that we're known for something that happened almost 50 years ago. And it's always that card I see doll fans pull out when there is a shit-talking battle going on. And it just really seems petty to go back 50 years when talking trash to another fan and another fan base. So that's my unpopular opinion. We're going to unpack your unpopular Dolphin fan opinions next in the Twitter mailbag, as well as dissect a couple of players that maybe time is running out on. We'll do that next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Follow me at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins on Twitter. It's a Friday podcast, Locked On Dolphins style here with you guys. October the 5th, just ahead of a very crucial Week 5 game up in Cincinnati. And I wrote a column today for LockedOnDolphins.com talking about a couple of former first-round draft picks that time could be running short on and it was inspired by the jordan phillips move the jordan phillips release that occurred on tuesday and going back into some of the players that have been axed by adam gay since he was hired in 2016 of course the exodus in 2016 after that titans game when three offensive linemen were cut last year in 2017 jay ajayi gets shipped out and then jarvis landry and dominican sue and mike pouncey all becoming afterthoughts in south florida And now it brings this idea to my mind that maybe original investment doesn't hold a whole lot of weight for this staff in their decision-making on players' long-term viability in Miami. And there's two players that I think really come to mind when you talk about that. And it's probably pretty obvious who those guys are. First up, of course, talking about Devontae Parker, and I won't go too big on him because I have been very vocal in my dissatisfaction with Devontae Parker as a Miami Dolphin. A career high of 57 catches, career high of 744 yards, and the career high of four touchdowns. He just never realized that full potential, and now you have these injuries piling up and these... I guess, healthy, inactive game day scratches of Adam Gaze that sound really inconspicuous at their source. And I just think there's something boiling over there that Devontae Parker, amongst all these receivers they have on this team, is kind of falling completely out of favor with the staff and with his ability. But he is in year four, so that's a little more understanding that he could possibly be on his way out. But what about pass rusher, edge rusher, defensive end, Charles Harris? Does he have a future in Miami? Because he is going backwards, so far backwards in 2018, that it's somewhat alarming. This is a guy that came out of the University of Missouri, where there's pass rushers and pass rushers and pass rushers coming into the league every single year, whether it's Marcus Golden, Alden Smith, Shane Ray, Sheldon Richardson, Coney Ealy even. Charles Harris was the next guy in line, the 22nd pick in the draft. And I thought his rookie year wasn't as bad as most people put it out to be, of course, the two sacks, not a great number for Harris, but he was getting pressure on the quarterback with hits and hurries. He had an 11% pass rush productivity at profootballfocus.com, but through four games this year, it's down half of that, less than half of that. 5.1% PRP. He has three pressures, which are all hurries, which is you know the worst kind of pressure, on 58 pass rush reps. He only has five tackles, two of those being run stops within two yards of the line of scrimmage. Actually been better as a run defender so far this year. But just talking about what happened to Jordan Phillips and of course, Jay and Jarvis Landry, all the names we already mentioned, is this staff going to give him much time to develop? And I think at wide receiver, it's easier to get rid of Devontae Parker because they have so much depth and other guys that can make plays. But Harris was kind of a crucial aspect to this roster, not just in the in, in the immediate, but also in the long term because they have Cameron Wake at 36 years old, who's a future Hall of Famer in my opinion, but how long can he do it for? And Robert Quinn, who has signed through 2019 on a big salary... Charles Harris really needed to step up and take that next step this year and improve upon that rookie season, not go in the other direction. So it makes me wonder how long does he have as a future here? And not just the fact that they would cut him off the roster, but if he doesn't get things going quickly, defensive end is going to be priority numero uno in the offseason, which means he becomes an afterthought and basically gets shunned to situational rush duties on this team as soon as 2019. So he has to get going soon. And then another name on that list I added in there just for the hell of it. Isaac Asiata did not get called up last year. You can attribute it to a redshirt type of season, I suppose, for him. But then you come this year and you have two injuries to the interior offensive line and he still does not get the call in favor of Travis Swanson and now Ted Larson, Wesley Johnson, hell, even Jake Brendel comes back and gets put over him on priority in terms of who will play on Sunday. So I just don't see any way that Isaac Asiata gets back. So these draft picks, we talked about it back in like week two, how many draft picks have stuck for Adam Gaze and Chris Greer. Well, now they're starting to cut some of them off and I still think those draft classes are good but they're starting to kind of wait out some of the dead weight here. And I think you could see that going forward with Devontae Parker and maybe even Charles Harris. All right, something I don't do very often on the show. I've done it twice now, a mid-segment shift into another topic. Let's go ahead and get back into the unpopular doll fan opinions slash your Twitter questions. And one here coming in from Justin Evans at JT underscore Evans 97. Unpopular fan opinion, Durham Smythe should be starting at tight end. And I see why that's unpopular. He really hasn't shown much of a penchant for understanding what he's doing so far in his very limited work. I think he has a long way to go. So you're right, Justin, that's very unpopular, especially with me. The next one here is one that I get all the time, And this one comes in from Sean Mowinnie. I hope I pronounced that right. He is at SW Mawinney. Why are they still carrying four quarterbacks? Got a lot of likes on Twitter as well. Well, my unpopular take on that is that it doesn't matter. I mean, they have four quarterbacks, two of them inactive. If you trade those guys out, you're going to bring in two other guys that will be inactive on game day. So it really doesn't make a difference as long as the guys on practice squad are not getting plucked. And if they haven't at this point, whether it's Isaac Asiata, Jamius Pittman, now they have Garrison Smith on there. They already pulled up a couple of guys in Cameron Malvo as well as Jonathan Woodard. If they weren't going to get poached, I don't think any of these guys currently on there are going to get poached. But if you put Luke Falk down there, there's a chance that he gets poached. And as far as David Fales goes, I don't really know what his role on the team is, but I do know that quarterback meeting room is sacred and every guy has a role in that quarterback room, which means they have to go out and find cut-ups or go out and put together tendency breakers for the other team. They have a role in terms of putting together the game plan for Ryan Tannehill, Adam Gaze, and the offense. So my thought on that is they value that input from those guys more so than having a seventh linebacker on the roster who wouldn't dress on game day anyway. But yes, that is a very unpopular opinion of mine. I understand that, but that's the explanation I would have for it, that they just don't really care and they value the input more from those guys than they do having another linebacker or defensive end or offensive lineman that wouldn't dress on game day anyway. All right, last unpopular take here. This one comes from Scooter at 56, Slevin. Unpopular take, Miami is still three and one and losing at New England isn't the end of the world. Yeah, man, I I agree. I don't know how else to describe that to the fan base because no matter what happens with this team, it seems as though there is a faction of the fan base that will never be satisfied. I mean, you have to accept it for what it is. The Patriots do that to a lot of teams. Bill Belichick has outcoached a lot of coaches in his 20 years up in Foxborough. So it happens. It wasn't fun. It certainly raises some concerns about this team. And I think you have a right to be concerned, but to basically end the season over that is a little bit much. And I totally agree with you on that, Scooter. So very unpopular in terms of the vocal minority on Twitter and everywhere else we find Dolphins fans, but it is what it is, and they have a chance to redeem all that on Sunday against the Bengals. And speaking of that, we're going to get to more of your Twitter questions, as well as hand out my college picks for the weekend. I have six of them today for you guys, winners, if you will, and we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins final block on the Friday podcast here. We're going to close things up by getting your Twitter questions in. And one thing I try to pride myself on is admitting when I've made a mistake or done something wrong. And I think with these Twitter mailbags, what I'm going to have to do is start making them more specific because I am getting way too many questions. I just can't answer them all guys. I have 38 this week. It's a 25 minute show. I don't have time to get to them all. That's why I try to keep them within a certain I suppose criteria and you guys for the most part adhered to those rules. Let's go ahead and get to a few more of those questions. This one comes from Childish Martino. He's at Marty underscore party six. The Dolphins have opened the year with four straight multi-interception games. Does that trend continue on to Cincinnati? Huge fan of the podcast, by the way, fins up. Thank you for that childish Martino, but yeah, for that trend, I think it does continue because Andy Dalton has thrown six interceptions this year, and from the games I saw, he I think the one was the Baltimore game at home on Thursday night, he had a few more that should have been picked off that were not, so he is definitely going to throw balls that your guys can get their hands on, and with this secondary, they catch the ball as well as our receivers do for the most part, with Minka Fitzpatrick and, and Xavier Howard, and now Rashad Jones coming back as a big lift there as well, so I think it will. I think they'll get a couple of takeaways, and that'll be the difference in the game. A Dolphins win and now our next one comes from Phil Riveron at Phil underscore Riv how does Gaze find a way to get Mike Gusecki involved I think the big issue there is he really has been asked to stay in for pass protection more than he sh- I think they wanted him to be just because this line hasn't been as good as you had hoped it would be in terms of pass protection at least in the last couple of weeks compared to what it was early on and he's been really held in responsible to get that stuff done Plus, I just think he's really struggling with the physicality of the game. I mentioned on the podcast that he kind of got tossed around a lot up in Foxborough, and he hasn't really gotten his feet wet in terms of getting more comfortable with running the right routes, getting involved in pass protection in the right way, and just getting all of his fundamentals down and, and thinking less than what I think he has been. As far as getting him involved, the red zone's a great spot for it, but they just haven't been down there. I don't think Ryan Tannehill's thrown a pass in the red zone he, not in the last two weeks, maybe even three, because the Jets game, the touchdown to Kenyon Drake, was all red zone runs, and the two touchdown passes came outside of the red zone. So he hasn't thrown a red zone pass since opening day, and we saw what happened there with Kasicki kind of falling off that route, and the ball very badly underthrown from interception. So I think red zone would be the best way to get him involved. Just got to get down there. Next question comes from a big friend of the podcast, Steven Anderson, at Jersey fin Fan. We know Cincy's D-line is going to destroy us, but is there any chance Miami's D-line could do the same? I covered that quite a bit in the preview, and I think that that's a big reason why I'm bullish on this game for Miami and hoping they can find a way to win it. Cameron Wake has to destroy Bobby Hart, and Robert Quinn has to beat... Cordy Glenn because the things that Cordy Glenn does well or does not do well are the things that Robert Quinn does do well with that speed rush and then on the inside Devon Godshaw as well as Akeem Spence and Vincent Taylor going up against the center Trey Hopkins and for Billy Price and the right guard Alex Redman those players are not that good so I think absolutely they can I think that'll be the pressure on Dalton with the playmaking on the back end will lead to a couple of picks so I think that's the key to the game is getting that pressure and absolutely whipping the Bengals offensive line. All right, we've got one more here. Let's go ahead and get this question from Chris Larondo. He is at extortion. That's a pretty cool handle. Uh, Since it appears Tank isn't really going to get back to form, is there anyone out there that possibly could be an upgrade at the cornerback position? I don't think you're going to find anything on the outside of the roster. These in-season moves really typically don't give you a lot of benefit right away, at least. I think the practice squad guys could have an impact like the way Jonathan Woodard did on Sunday. He played pretty well. I think Cameron Malvo can give you something off the practice squad as well, but I'm actually somewhat intrigued by what Cordray Tankersley could be, not to kind of change the topic of your question, but I think he is the guy they need to find some production from because for my money, Tory McTire, I, I just don't see it with him. Missing tackles is a big part of that too, but Tankersley last year, he bit as a pup. He had some good plays, some good games. He drew praise from Drew Brees after that game in London, and I just think that Pretty much since he got injured at the end of the year last year, he's kind of gone downhill, and his confidence in the preseason and the communication issues he had in the preseason were so bad that they couldn't put him on the field because he was just liable to give up big plays in chunks at a time. So you hope that maybe four weeks away and getting more into the playbook and kind of getting away from the game, I guess, as far as gameplay on Sundays might help. I don't know. That's my hope. I hope that Tankers League can contribute because they need somebody else at cornerback while McCain is down and out. Okay, I lied. One last one here from Island Boy at 25 underscore Bullard. The Dolphins can get the running attack going by doing what? I understand we are down two linemen, but what can the coaches do to help get the running game going? I just bring this up because I answered it at the beginning of the podcast as well as on Thursday's podcast talking about how they can get that outside stretch zone going as well as some misdirection play. So just finding a way to get Drake's speed up against these linebackers, that's going to be the key. And that will be the end of the Twitter mailbag. Which, of course, brings us into the final Friday segment the college picks. I am currently 11 and 8 on the season in the green, in the positive, in the black, however you want to call that. But I love this time of year. The teams start to kind of make themselves more identifiable. So, for my money, the picks get a little bit easier. And off the jump, the first pick here, I'm going to make a grand mistake and go against what Scott Van Pelt does every week. I'm taking Rutgers, baby. Rutgers at home getting four and a half points against Illinois, a bad Illinois team. Give me Rutgers first pickup. The second one is an over, over 61 points between Oklahoma and Texas in the red river shootout there. The next one is another over Miami and Florida state, that big rivalry you guys all love and know. Over 49 points there. Iowa is giving seven points to Maryland. Iowa's not that great, but neither is Maryland. I'll take the more physical, more reputable program there with the Iowa Buckeyes. Up next, Kentucky has had a great start to the season, but I'm taking Kellen Mond and the Texas A&M Aggies and Jimbo Fisher. Minus six at Kentucky in that one. And then finishing up with an underdog at home, Virginia Tech in the rain in Blacksburg against Notre Dame. They are getting a touchdown seven points. So Rutgers... Oklahoma, Texas, over 61. Miami, Florida State, over 49. Iowa, minus 7. Texas A&M, minus 6. And Virginia Tech, plus 7. We'll check in on those picks next week. As for this podcast... That is going to be my time today. And since my favorite band in the existence of all music is putting out their new record today, Coheed and Cambria, we are going to play you guys out with some Coheed. And please, as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at Winful NFL Follow the show at Lockdown Fins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday for hopefully a victory edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.